Hello, sports fans, and welcome to Let Me Speak, the show that shares sports' biggest headlines explained, uninterrupted, and maybe a little audacious. I'm Joe Braverman, and today's topics we'll be discussing are the rankings in the NFL after Week 15 and making picks for Week 16. Plus, is the NHL smart for taking a holiday break and pulling out of the Beijing Olympics? And a preview of the NBA slate of games on Christmas Day. It's episode 53 of Let Me Speak, and it starts right now. Merry Christmas, everybody, here on Thursday, December 23rd, 2021, episode 53 of Let Me Speak. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Obviously, this is the last show before Christmas. Next week is the last show of the year before we get into 2022. I hope everyone is being very safe and healthy with this COVID-19 surge. I know we're trying to be as optimistic as we can i recently got uh the booster shot earlier in the week felt a little bit of some effects but that was mostly during the overnight you know next day probably just had to deal with a headache but i do recommend you know i said it last week that i don't judge about you know vaccine decisions but my strong recommendation to keep yourself and others safe is to go get that vaccine because it is saving lives right now but Away from the health of it all, let's talk sports because the NFL continues to roll on and the parody after week 15 is just getting greater and greater and greater. And what's funny is that after all these games, it's still hard to really find teams that stand loud and proud over Everyone else. I mean, when you start in the AFC, I mean, just looking at the standings, I got them in front of me for right now from one through seven, you got the Chiefs, the Patriots, the Titans, the Bengals, the Colts, the Chargers and the Bills, those who would make the playoffs if it ended today. But on the outside looking in, who still have a chance goes all the way down to 13th place. The Ravens are still in it. The Steelers, the Raiders, the Dolphins the Browns and the Broncos still with a legitimate chance to get in the playoffs. They are all separated about by like one game or a half game, which is insane. I don't think I've ever seen it before. And in the NFC one through seven, again, you got the Packers, the Cowboys, the Buccaneers, Cardinals, Rams, 49ers, Vikings, and then still plenty of teams after that who still have a chance, not as much as the AFC, but in the NFC, you got the Eagles at seven and seven, Saints at seven and seven, Washington and Atlanta at six and eight, still mathematically with a chance. But again, all the parity going on makes you really think who can you trust? And to me, I stick with, you know, my top two teams in the AFC are the Chiefs and the Patriots. I think Kansas City, I know they're going through a COVID outbreak right now. Kelsey's on the list, Tyree Kill's on the list, all their weapons are, are there. But this team has turned it around so much. I mean, they've won seven straight. And as I have said, week after week, 
defensively is where they're getting it done. It's not, it's finally a season where Patrick Mahomes doesn't have to do everything and bail his team out. Now there is still some optimism there. I mean, you look at last Thursday against the chargers, if Brandon Staley and LA doesn't go for two every single time, or they keep going for it on fourth down, maybe they drop that game. Maybe they don't go to overtime. So Kansas city, as of right now, to me, they're the top team in the AFC head and shoulders above. They've been the most consistent team. One of the more consistent teams in the entire NFL over the past number of weeks. I think again, offensively, they're going to get back into the swing of things. I trust Patrick Mahomes. He is the MVP, uh, my preseason MVP, but obviously he's probably not going to be MVP for this season. So tough luck on that one. But when you look at what they still have, I mean, it's not an easy schedule. I mean, this week they're hosting Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh still got a chance. And then they've got a couple of division matchups still going on. So it, it's pretty obvious with when you look at the rest of the AFC that Kansas city has to be the top team right now. And they are the top team 10 and four. As I said, they've won seven straight, but they are, to me, head and shoulders, the best team in that in that conference right now. On the other side, for the Patriots, I think, you know, maybe that loss to the Colts was good for them, kind of resets them. But between them and the Bills, I think I trust the Pats more than the Bills, just because not only, you know, mentally are the Patriots better, but when you look at it, you know, are they the most talented team? No. But when you look at what Buffalo has gone through, all the mental breakdown, you see Sean McDermott, in his press conferences, you see Josh Allen having to carry the load all the time. And this is going to be this week, the AFC East. This decides it right here. Cause you got the Pats at nine and five. You got the bills at eight and six. Who knows by the end of this game, the loser of this game could be out of the playoff picture, depending on how the rest of the games go. That's how important that's how tight this thing is. But the good news is that I think they're, both of these teams you can trust to get into the playoffs. I think in terms of the better team, not saying anything because I'm a Pats fan, but I just think when you look at the personnel, I think the Patriots have a balanced attack. They've got a very strong defense. Maybe the secondary is lacking just a little bit, but I think this is a team that can stop the run, which the bills don't have. So they don't got to worry about that. Their game plan this week is going to be all about, shutting down Josh Allen and shutting down that passing attempt attack, because we know there's not going to be a windstorm. The Patriots aren't going to throw it three times. The bills aren't going to throw it, you know, maybe 15 times or whatever like that. The playbook is going to be wide open for both teams. So that's going to be a game to watch between those two Pats and bills. Trusting wise, I think Patriots are better to trust over the bills, but I still like the bills to get into the playoffs. I still like them to at least qualify for that wild card spot in the third spot though, with Tennessee, the, the problem is they've got so much potential. They have so much potential, but the problem is they continue to shoot themselves in the foot. Ryan Tannehill continues to throw interceptions, continues to fumble the ball and make mistakes and mistakes. And I'm not saying when they gathered on the Steeler logo last Sunday, they had it coming, but they had it coming. I mean, this is a team I understand with head coach Mike Vrabel, what they're doing. They, they play smash mouth football. 
They're not going to let someone one up you. I get that. I get that. But you also got to be smart and realize what you got. Okay. You've got a banged up Julio Jones. You're still waiting for AJ Brown. You're going to get Derrick Henry back. But at the same time, with the Colts nipping on your heels, and it seems like Indianapolis getting better and better, it's time to put up or shut up. So Tennessee has got to pick themselves up and stop beating themselves. Because when you look at all these games for Tennessee, you know, you look at the New England game, the Pittsburgh game. This is a team where you could say, you know, New England didn't beat them or Pittsburgh didn't beat them because they beat themselves. That's the problem with Tennessee is this is a good team when they're not making mistakes. You know, you saw what they did defensively against that Steeler team in shutting them down. That's why I, I think Tennessee is, is hard to trust them in the long term. Again, I'm confident that they can make the playoffs and win the division. And if they get Derrick Henry back, who knows if that totally turns things around. But in terms of making mistakes, that's the reason that's holding Tennessee back. That's what's holding them back right now. Because at this very moment, you know, if the playoffs were to start today, I would trust Indianapolis way more than I trust Tennessee because of what the Colts have done over the past number of weeks. You got Jonathan Taylor running the ball like a madman. And I've said it week after week with the absence of Derrick Henry, this is the best running back in the entire league. And you've got a guy like Carson Wentz where again, he's not being asked to be an MVP kind of guy. He's just being asked not to turn over the ball and make mistakes. Now, is he still making mistakes? Yes, but they're not catastrophic mistakes. They're still staying in the game. They're getting better defensively. I mean, look at what they did to shut down new England last Saturday night. So Indianapolis, to me, is more of a team you can't trust. And I honestly would not be surprised if somehow, some way, the Colts find themselves atop the AFC North. I think the schedule is hard for them to make that happen. But I, this is a team that I would be scared to play. If I was any of those division teams, if I were the Chiefs, the Pats, the Titans, the Bengals, I would be scared to play this Colts team. Because if you don't stop the run, you're essentially screwed. You are essentially screwed if you can't shut down Jonathan Taylor. And plus, Carson Wentz is making the throws. There are no standout wide receivers, but props to the Colts organization for keeping a team. I mean, what is this, the third or fourth straight year with a different quarterback? I mean, he went through Luck, Brissett, Rivers, and now Wentz. And the fact that I think they made the playoffs like at least three times or two times, I mean, props to that organization for building it and getting it back to where it once was. But shifting divisions to the AFC North, man, that thing is so wide open. I mean, you've got, I'm pretty sure every team has led the division for at least one week throughout this whole season. I'm pretty sure of that. But right now it's the Bengals on top at eight and six. And again, I say this week after week, but this is a young Cincinnati team that maybe doesn't know about, you know, playoff intensity or the last couple of weeks of the regular season where you're fighting for your spot. Because you got to remember Baltimore, it was hanging around with Green Bay. And if John Harbaugh doesn't go for two on this one, you know, you have the best kicker in the game at Justin Tucker. Why not go for the tie and just hope for the best? I'm not sure what it is, but it could be those decisions right there that knocks Baltimore out. When you ask me about the four 
AFC North teams who are still alive. You know, all the teams are alive. They're all at at least 500. To me, I would trust Baltimore more just because they have the experience. Lamar Jackson has been in this situation more than Joe Burrow. I understand Ben Roethlisberger, but he's not the same guy. And then Cleveland, that loss to the Raiders really hurt their chances, so it takes a miracle for that to happen. But I find myself thinking that Baltimore can right the ship, okay? I think Cincinnati, they're like a fringe playoff team. If they can get in, they're going to get in at that seventh or last uh, position, I think. But I see Baltimore turning this thing around because we see this offense – even with Tyler Huntley in the bat, in the uh, quarterback position, utilizing Mark Andrews, utilizing uh, Duvernay and Bateman and Hollywood Brown, when that offense is at its peak, at its potential, they can be a very good team. And it's just defensively shutting down those high-powered offenses. I mean, if it's anyone other than Green Bay last week, they probably win that game. But in the AFC North, I trust the Ravens more than any of those teams. I do think two teams are going to get out of there. I do think it's probably, you know, it's hard for a toss-up because, I mean, I do like the Chargers and I do like the Bengals. I would say just with the scheduling sort of aspect, I do think there is a good chance that two teams out of that division make the playoffs. I still like the Chargers. I do think they'll make it. I mean, you got to get back to me in like another week or two because that's how wide open this thing is. It's so wide open that, you know, it changes on a weekly basis who's going to get in. But those are really the teams at this moment that I can put my faith in, in the AFC. In the NFC, though, it's pretty straightforward to me. Right now, the best team in football are the Green Bay Packers. Aaron Rodgers continues to prove himself. I think he's probably the runner-up MVP right now behind Tom Brady in my eyes. But in terms of a complete team, for much of the year, much of the year. I mean, this is the team, obviously, with the best record in football. But with what Aaron Rodgers has done with that offense, how the defense has played so much better, that's where that's what separates it, is because you have an inconsistent Cowboys, inconsistent Bucks, Cardinals, Rams. Green Bay, maybe aside from that week one blowout, has been probably the most consistent team in the entire NFL. And It's hard for me to back against them when it comes playoff time, but we've seen Aaron Rodgers, Matt LaFleur, and that tire Packers organization find a way to to blow it. So as of this moment, the Packers are my Super Bowl favorite. You know, I did pick in the preseason the Rams uh, to make the Super Bowl, and I've been riding the Cardinals, but let's face it, Arizona after Detroit's loss, lost all hope for me. And I understand it's without DeAndre Hopkins, but – This is a blowout loss to Detroit, the worst team in football, or was the worst team in football at 111-1. That's a shot in the foot right there for me. I now trust the Rams more than the Cardinals because the Rams are more experienced, okay? Matthew Stafford, I know he hasn't been in a lot of playoff matchups, but he's been around the league a lot more than Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury. So he knows how to play well when it comes to the last part of the regular season. And we've seen it. We've seen it in the Cliff Kingsbury era for Arizona that their second halves usually stink. They absolutely stink when it comes to the second half. So if the Cardinals don't write the ship, it's going to be over. I still think they can make the playoffs. But right now, I would trust the Rams in that division way more than I trust the Cardinals. And 
I forgot to mention that third team, the 49ers. I think they're a lock for the playoffs. I think they get into the wild card. They're just playing so much better. They're a dangerous team offensively, similar to Indianapolis in the AFC. The Niners can be that team in the NFC that can't play spoiler to all those division winners like the Cowboys, because the Cowboys defensively might have a hard time stopping Kittle, Samuel, Ayuk. I mean, they do have Micah Parsons. I mean, what's funny about Dallas is I, I say it week after week with all the talent they have, you think they should be playing better, but Prescott's too inconsistent. He's not finding his targets. That's where it starts and ends for Dallas is getting Dak Prescott back on track. And that could be this week. It could be this week, but Dallas should be better. What's funny is that we say that they should be better, but they're 10 and four and second in the NFC. I think we're talking about making the extra jump to the Super Bowl, but that's similar to Tampa Bay kind of in a different way. They have the talent, but now they're hurt. Now they're hurt. And this is going to be a test for Bruce Arians, Tom Brady, and that whole Buccaneers team is how do they play without some of their weapons? Leonard Fournette, possibly on IR. Chris Godwin out for the year. Mike Evans week to week with a hamstring. We're going to have to see more play from the tight end. Defensively, they're going to have to get better, especially in the secondary with all the incredible. I mean, look at all the playoff teams right now in the NFC. Their strength is their offense. Every single team, their strength is their offense. That's probably going to hurt Tampa Bay. And that's what hurts their chances to maybe get a back-to-back Super Bowl is if they are unable to stop all these high-powered offenses. So it's hard for me to say, yes, I trust Tampa Bay to be a Super Bowl contender. Do I think Tom Brady can right the ship for Tampa? Absolutely. They're not going to put up another shutout to a team like New Orleans at 9 to nothing. I think for this week, the Buccaneers will be able to get back on track. But then we go to the last playoff spot where essentially you got five teams for it. Realistically, to me, it's down to three. It's between the Vikings, the Eagles, and the Saints, uh, between those three. What's funny is that Minnesota, as I said, their strength is their offense. Kirk Cousins is playing great. The Eagles' offense is playing great. But the more complete team to me might be New Orleans. I understand that Taysom Hill makes a lot of mistakes and the offense is kind of lacking. But... This is a team where you look at it from both sides of the football. To me, the Saints are the more complete team on offense and on defense. When you when you look at how it is, you got Cam Jordan on the D-line. You got DeMario Davis in that linebacking core. You got Malcolm Jenkins, Marshawn Lattimore at the cornerback position. So in my eyes, I think New Orleans might be that team that gets that seventh wild card spot. Not only just because of, you know, I do think their schedule is a little bit, you know, it's a little bit better. I know they got a tough matchup Monday night against Miami, but I think scheduling wise with Minnesota still having to go to Green Bay, Philly's got to play Dallas. I think New Orleans probably has the best shot. And in my eyes, sitting here right now, and it could change, but right now to me, the Saints might be the favorite to get into that seventh and final wild card spot. But It all depends on what happens in week 16 this week. And we'll have to see if our guest picker thinks the exact same way I do. So without any further ado, let's throw it to a segment recorded earlier in the week. This is NFL week 16 edition of Pick'em. 
So as always, it's time for our Pick'em segment, NFL Week 16 edition. And as always, we got a special guest. He's another former Westfield State alum, and he is a writer and a PA for the Boston Pride of the NWHL, the Women's Hockey League. Jake Solomons joins us for the show. Jake, thanks for taking the time and recording this Pick'em segment. Not a problem. How are you, Joe? I'm doing good. Now, it's been a little bit of time. We both uh, started in Westfield State with athletics. We both were writers. And now here you are writing for the pride for the NWHL. Talk about how you got your start in that and uh, became a writer. So I became a writer almost, it really kind of came in January of this past year. I was watching the Women's Hockey League on Twitch because that was the only platform that they had. And I was on Twitter at the same time watching like the live feed and like the highlights of it. And then somebody from like a Boston, like it was like a third party site saying um, we need writers for the Boston Pride. So I was like, okay, like I know this, my sister plays hockey and all of that. So I was like, I have some background. So I'll give them a resume, give them a couple of samples and it kind of snowballed into that. And then the Boston Pride started like noticing it because I mentioned them in certain articles. and. The president and GM of the team both emailed me saying they loved my work. And I was kind of grateful for that because like, one, I want to be a good writer. And two, I want to get recognized by the people I'm writing about and for. So it was almost like a full circle kind of thing that really took place organically. Yeah, it's def- it was definitely, uh, it's a great thing when you get recognized and you're put on that platform. And you had mentioned, like, you started in a bunch of, like, different uh, aspirations. You were a timeout coordinator, and then eventually it led to writing. Um, since you've been with the Boston Pride, can you describe some of the, the coolest moments that you've seen uh, while watching the Pride in their games? Because they do play in the Boston Bruins uh, training facility, and that's where they have their games. And since the NWHL came into, uh, came into form, there have been a lot of great moments. But... What are, the, what are some of the moments you've seen firsthand that really stick out in your mind? Um, I would definitely say, well, first of all, see, the coolest moments definitely was the first game because last season they were in a bubble. They weren't around any fans whatsoever, unless you consider the broadcast and production team fans, which I don't. Well, I mean, they do, but I don't. Um, <laughs> like the actual fans in the stands watching like the little kids just go crazy. Like that was something that really like touched me like because there was the first game technically took place in Falmouth on October 29th which was an exhibition game against the Toronto Six and it was like packed like standing room only left over and there were so many like youth hockey fans youth hockey players just watching these players just like do their thing like it's kind of like it's hard to describe because the NHL and the Olympics like they have a glass ceiling that can be broken the women's the nwhl which is now the phf the premier hockey federation it's kind of new but um like there's only so far you can go and to see these players play with more passion than anything like financial like compensation and things like that it's it's all well and good but these players play for passion and hockey and to see the smiles on those kids faces so that's probably the coolest moment that i see because my sister used to be like that and she still is so i kind of resonate with that 110 percent as a fan as a brother as a 
hockey fan. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things, you know, the way you're describing it is it's not about, you know, the fame or the glory or anything. It's just for mm-hmm. the love of the game. And I think nothing uh, attributes that more to him than the uh, situation that you just described. And it's super cool mm-hmm. that you're placed in this position. But of course, along with the uh, NWHL or the PDF, uh, you're also a big NFL fan. We both took a sports writing class. You know, we had a lot of great debates in there. So I know you're just the biggest football fan. So I'm glad you're here and we're going to make some picks for week 16. Are you ready to go? I am ready to go. Yeah. Okay. So for uh, before we get started, we'll update the standings. Last week, we had Tim Bridge on. He goes eight and eight. Meanwhile, we still have Johnny Mintz Reedus leading the way at 13 and three in the schedule. Hopefully for this week doesn't get placed all over the place. Like we saw a couple games last night on Tuesday, a couple Monday night games. So hopefully the way the schedule is right now, we'll be able to get every single game in. And we start with the Thursday night matchup between the San Francisco 49ers and the Tennessee Titans, eight and six first nine and five. Jake, this is a team in San Francisco. First off that, basically have to win out to get uh, maintain their playoff spot right now outside mm-hmm. of the fifth spot in the wild card for the NFC. It's pretty much wide open between about maybe five or six teams. And meanwhile, Tennessee they're banged up and they're trying to limp their way into the playoffs. So for the Thursday night matchup between San Fran and Tennessee, who do you like? Um, well, I, I like the, the, um, the 49ers cause they're on a two game win streak uh, considering they're on, they played the Bengals two weeks ago in Cincinnati they're they're also in the hunt so I mean I like Cincinnati but um playing on the road in Tennessee like they've had like Tennessee's had some luck um in the past couple seasons going towards playoffs so it's going to be a tough matchup but I think the 49ers are hungry for a playoff spot and they know what it takes to be there so does Tennessee but having uh having sort of not experienced too much of the playoff experience for most of the players, it's going to be, it's going to be tough for them, but I think they, they know what they want. So I think it's going to be the 49ers taking it over Tennessee. I mean, you got to remember, Jake, this was a team only two or three years ago went to the Super Bowl, and, you know, there's still a bunch of unexperienced guys in there. I'm sort of mm-hmm. on the same boat with you. I think, you know, we're still waiting to hear about, AJ Brown, Julio Jones, if they're active for this game, mm-hmm. then obviously, exactly. Derek, and, and then Derrick Henry, obviously, we're most likely going to see him in the playoffs if they make it. But Tennessee's got to really keep their eyes in the back of their head because Indianapolis is right there and they continue to win these games. So they've got to yeah. continue to win out. And Tannehill has to just stop making all those mistakes because we're learning that this team runs through Derrick Henry. And we're, we saw that last week against Pittsburgh. So if Tennessee wants to stay afloat, they got to limit the mistakes. But I am on the same boat that the 49ers are favored and should win this game, mm-hmm. even though they are the sure. road team. As then we go to Christmas night, we got a nice little doubleheader going on on the holiday. Cleveland and Green Bay. Browns at 7-7. Seven and seven. Green Bay, 11-3. Green Bay, the first team in the NFL to lock up their division. Right now, they are the top team in the NFC in the standings. Meanwhile, Cleveland... Still waiting to get all their guys back. We just learned today they'll have their head coach back in Kevin Stefanski. It is looking like they'll get most of their roster back, but that loss last week against the Raiders was crucial for the Browns' playoff chances. So, Jake, if they want to keep their playoff chances alive, they got to win this game at Lambeau. Do you think they do it? Um, I think 
in order to keep their playoff chances alive, they do have to win at Lambeau, and they also do have, have to do a lot of praying because <laughs> uh, playing Green Bay at home uh, on the road in Green Bay is not an easy task in December, not by any chance. Um, but a seven and seven team with not everybody back, it's certainly going to be uh, fighting out of the corner situation. So I think Green Bay is probably going to take the the game, but I I want to see Cleveland keep it close. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I think it's going to be Green Bay by uh by fourteen at least. Yeah, this is really just to show you how tight the AFC is right now. Just looking at the standings real quick, the Browns are seven and seven, and they're twelfth right now in the AFC. There are a bunch of spots out. That's how tight it is. And I hate to say it, but just that loss for the Raiders kind of killed them. I think their playoff chances. That's why I think, you know, for Green Bay right now, they're far and away the most consistent team through from week one to week 16 that we're at. They've been probably the most consistent team. That's why I favor them as well in this matchup. As you said, in Lambeau, December, Christmas night, those fans are going to be hyped. I think the Packers should win this game, regardless of if they get all their players back. Cleveland does for that Christmas game. As then the second game in that doubleheader are the Colts and the Cardinals. Again, Indy, one of those teams where they've got to basically win out to secure their playoff spot. Looking at the standings right now, they are in the fifth spot, but themselves, the Bengals, the Chargers, the Bills, the Ravens, they're all at eight and six. So one loss could be the difference. Meanwhile, you get an Arizona team who's been struggling the past couple of weeks, not only losing a game to the Rams, but dropping a game to the Lions in embarrassing fashion, if I might add. Can Arizona right the ship at home against the Indianapolis Colts? Um, I it, It's really a toss-up in this game. I think with both teams, I mean, the Colts broke my heart last week against the Patriots, but <laughs> um, it was more fun to watch my dad freak out than watch the Patriots lose. But <laughs> I think, like like you said, the Indianapolis Colts have to really like win out, especially, and – I, I don't hate the Colts. I love Jonathan Taylor. I'm a Wisconsin fan, as you can tell. Um, <laughs> but Arizona needs to, like, re they need to re, regroup, redo everything, reorganize whatever to get back on. And, like, they, they have the star power. They, they certainly do. It's just how are they going to use that in a cohesive unit as a team the rest of the season? Because – it's not going to be about Kyler Murray. It's not going to be about JJ Watt. It's not going to be about any of those guys individually. If they know what they want, they're going to work to get it, but they just got to figure out how to do that as a collective. So with that, I think Arizona could take it, but I'm taking Indianapolis. I think for Arizona, you know, this was a team for many weeks. I've said best team in the NFC, best team in the NFC. And then, They dropped the game to uh, the Rams, which I'm thinking, okay, that was like a 50-50 game. But then they dropped the game to the Lions. That basically puts your confidence meter from like 100% to maybe like 60 or whatever. And who knows? And who knows after this week, depending on how the Rams game goes, they could be back in that wild card picture. Now, do I think Arizona can still make the playoffs? Yes, of course. I think they have the star power. But what's funny is that, you know, you saw the return of Chase Edmonds, even though they didn't have DeAndre Hopkins, they got – that top two, they've got the two best running backs uh, at their at their mark, and yet they only put up like 12 or 15 points against the Detroit Lions, which is 
to me is a confidence killer. And that's why Indianapolis, you know, they're rolling even with Carson Wentz throwing less than a hundred yards against the Patriots last week. As you said, Jonathan Taylor, the best running back active right now in the NFL, maybe aside from Derrick Henry when he comes back, but I think that's how they win it. It's run, run, run the ball. And Carson Wentz just limiting the mistakes. And defensively, I don't know if Arizona can stop him, no matter what it is Indianapolis does on offense. As we then go... It'll be a struggle for them. Yeah, it'll be be really interesting to see how they go into the playoffs, you know, with the last Mm -hmm. couple of games. Because chances are they're still going to make it, regardless of if they win the West or get in the wild card. I think there's a good chance they still get in. Mm -hmm. As then we go to the Sunday slate of games, the day after Christmas. Speaking of the Detroit Lions, they go to Atlanta, take on the Falcons at 6-8. and Atlanta still, in their eyes, has a glimmer of hope to get into the playoffs. A lot of people outside are saying, yeah, it's not going to happen. Meanwhile, the Lions, we don't know who's going to be a quarterback. We know Jared Goff is on the COVID list. He might clear in time. He has said he's vaccinated, so he might be there in time. But regardless, the Lions have struggled all season long. Can they get their third win of the season? in Atlanta against the Falcons? Well, I think the quarterback situation is really just a moot point at this juncture. Like, there's there's no chance of saving that season. Unless, <laughs> they're already I mean, eliminated, they're, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're just playing for fun now. But um, I, I think that in Atlanta, like, their fan base is very dedicated. So they're going to lend their voice to the, the Falcons uh, outright the whole game. So I think whether the Falcons are plugging for a spot or whether they're just kind of mailing it in at this point, who knows, but I think Atlanta will probably take it. Like I'm a big fan of like the home field advantage idea, but in this game, the, the lions may pull one out. Like they, like they beat the Cardinals, who knows? So like, you never know what to expect from them anymore. So, but I want to, I'll say Atlanta at home. That's how wide open the season is. You get a, Arizona, who's been the best team record-wise in all football for a long time, beating a team who had the worst record for a really long time, the Detroit Lions. There is one key that you got to watch out for Detroit, and that's Amonra St. Brown. When he's been in the slot, he has been picking apart defenses left and right for weeks and weeks. That Minnesota game, last week against Arizona. I think, as you said, this is a chance for Detroit to maybe pull out the win, but I just don't think it's going to be enough. I think Atlanta still is kind of that gung-ho team who play the full 18-week schedule. I think Atlanta does take this one at home. I'll agree with you there. As then we go to probably could be the game of the week. Battle of eight and sixes in the AFC North. Baltimore and Cincinnati. What's crazy about this division is that you've got Cincinnati currently on top of that division at eight and six. Meanwhile, Baltimore's in the wild card spot, and you've got Pittsburgh and Cleveland knocking on the door by about half a game. But Jake, this is really a game that really could decide who gets into the playoffs as the AFC North. I know after this week, there's still two games left, but whoever wins this game is going to have a big advantage. We're still waiting to hear about Lamar Jackson if he'll play, but regardless, Tyler Huntley kept him in the game last week against Green Bay. What do you think between the Ravens and the Bengals in this AFC North matchup? So, like I said earlier, um, kind of briefly, but I'm a big Cincinnati fan. Um, like that's my second favorite team. Not many people know that about me, but, um, for fantasy football, Lamar Jackson was my <laughs> starting quarterback who broke my heart a couple <laughs> of games, but, um, like you said, the backup quarterback did tremendous, like in his shoes last week to kind of fill in, but I, 
it, it's a kind of tough. You said it's the it's almost the game of the week, and I really think it's got this is this game's going to decide who goes in for the AFC North. To be honest with you, um, I got to go with my gut and say Cincinnati at home because it it just feels right. To be honest, I can't <laughs> I can't I got to go with my favorite Cincinnati, the Bengals. Yeah, one one of my teams has Lamar Jackson too. I'm in that same boat with you. Um, mm-hmm. I think for Baltimore, what the injuries are piling up, piling, piling. Oh, started absolutely. with the running, started with the running backs before the season even start, and then you've got the cornerback position is all a mess. I think for Baltimore, this is really a team because you got to remember last time these two teams played, Cincinnati came out and absolutely whooped them, absolutely whooped them, and really got themselves on the map. For Baltimore, you know, if John Harbaugh doesn't play the analytics and instead goes for the tie. Who knows? They could be two and one in this last stretch. They beat Pittsburgh and then they beat Green Bay if they don't go for two, which we're learning analytics has taken over John Harbaugh. So I think it's yeah. that kind of it's that kind of decision making that makes me lean towards Cincinnati because, yes, they're young, naive, you know, maybe not a lot of experience in big time uh, scenarios like this with playoffs on the line, but they're just smart. They're smart. And I said last week, they have a really great offense as long as they play at their highest potential. So that's why I'm going to kind of ride with you there. They've got the potential. And meanwhile, Baltimore is not making the greatest decisions, or at least John Harbaugh is. As I we- think, honestly, if, if they went for that tie instead of the two-point conversion and missed it, they probably would have won that game. And I agree. In overtime. I agree, because you do have maybe the best kicker in the NFL and Justin Tucker. And Absolutely. you put the... You put the ball on his hands or in his feet, you know, there's a good chance you're going to come out with that win. As then we go then to Los Angeles and Minnesota Rams at 10 and four, they're starting to look like them old selves. Like we saw in the beginning of the season. Now they're sitting at 10 and four. They're tied basically with Arizona. They're in the fifth wild card spot. So again, playoff chances, very high for them, but you know, they're thinking division. They're thinking division title. And meanwhile, Minnesota after the win Monday night against Chicago, again, Sitting in that playoff spot, they're currently seventh, final spot right now. So basically, they got to win out to get into the playoffs. But what do you think between the Rams and the Vikings? Uh, well, I got my guy Matthew Stafford for the Rams. He's my new quarterback in fantasy, so I got to mm-hmm. ride with him. Um, <laughs> new, you didn't start with him to begin with? No, nah, I picked him up midseason, to be honest with you. Oh, I had, okay. I had Lamar Jackson and uh, who else? I think it was like Jimmy Garoppolo or something like that. Um, but I was like fully invested in Lamar. <laughs> but um, for this, the NFC North, it, it's tough because like you said, the Vikings are going to have to pretty much win out and they have the Packers on the road and then the Bears at home. So that's going to be a tough scenario for them to play. But I think... Minnesota's at home and they're at that's tough. Yeah, you got the the wild card is pretty much the only spot Minnesota can get into the playoffs, and the schedule's not gonna be that easy. No, certainly not. So I mean the Rams have a definitely like record-wise, like their talent level will put them past the Vikings. But then again, the Vikings are trying to fight their way out of a corner and like make a wild card spot if not at the like one percent chance of a divisional spot i i think the rams will probably take it but the vikings won't go down without a fight 
I think I think it's going to be a lot closer than people think because you got to remember the Rams played last night, just last night. We're recording on a Wednesday. They played on Tuesday. They only have a five day turnaround. You know, most at the max, you get a three day or a four day turnaround if you're playing a Sunday or a Monday into a Thursday game. So it's a limit. It's a limited schedule. They do get most of their players back, similar to the Cleveland situation. They'll get their most of their guys back. Hopefully, we've seen a couple of people already get activated off of the list. Henderson, Ramsey. I think, though, as you said, close, competitive. Minnesota, it's hard to read them. If they can stop them defensively, then they've got a shot. But I think I think this comes down to maybe a field goal, one possession game. But I'm going to agree with you that the Rams should take this one just because overall talent-wise, they've got the better team. And I know Kirk Cousins is having a great year, but he's 7-7. Seven and seven. I mean, he's only thrown – I think like five or six interceptions to 28 or 29 touchdowns. So I don't think, I don't think he's the reason because offensively they're great. I think they're great offensively. It just comes down defensively to how are they going to be able to stop a high powered uh, Rams offense? So I don't think they can, I don't think they can do it. And I think the Rams take this one as then we go to basically another matchup that will decide a division. It feels like the AFC East on the line between the bills and the Pats, of course, Pats are our team at nine and five coming off a loss Saturday night to the Colts. So they do get an extra day to prepare for this matchup. Meanwhile, the bills keeping their division hopes alive against the Panthers last week, beating them at home. Now they got to go on the road in Gillette. You know, these playoff chances for both these teams aren't secured. They might be high, but they're not secured. And whoever wins this game will have a great shot at locking up that spot and winning the division. So what do you think between Bills and Pats? Um, it's This game is probably as close as you can get next to the uh, Ravens and the Bengals game in terms of division rivalry and just overall uh, stalemate. I It's going to be tough. It's It's like... It's like going to Green Bay and playing in Green Bay. It, you're not favored in that arena at all. And I think Josh Allen will – I mean, he's played in New England before, but it's it's not common when you're – the Patriots are 9-5 and five and they're knocking on the door for a playoff spot to um, get a chance for room to win. I mean, Bill Belichick has a new uh, – addition to Mac Jones for a playoff spot, which he hasn't seen any NFL uh, playoff experience, obviously as a rookie, but I, it's, it's tough. I, I put a lot of stock in Mac Jones. He's proven a lot to me over the season. And I think he's going to come back to Gillette and really buckle down and probably hopefully pass the ball more than he did last game. Against Buffalo, <laughs> definitely they won't pass three times. Like three times. Three yeah. times. Yeah, that. I think that really put a bug in shot uh, McDermott's ear. Really kept him up for a couple nights. <laughs> but I would love to see them for the, just run the ball again. But they're <laughs> predicting that game plan. I know it. Or maybe they're not. Um, <laughs> but like the the Patriots are obviously our team, so I can't really. Uh, land of them and go with Buffalo, but it's, it's going to be tough. I, I got to say the Patriots probably by less than a touchdown. 
I do think, you know, similar, you know, it's like a hard overhead kind of thing. I think what helps is that last matchup they had in Buffalo where they only threw it three times. That means the Bills are going to get a whole different game plan and see a bunch of plays in the air that they haven't seen before. And we saw last week, you know, a brief comeback for the Pats. They got it down to three, all because mm-hmm. of Mac Jones continued to throw and throw and throw. And that was the game plan for that Indianapolis game. Obviously it didn't turn out because they allowed a Jonathan Taylor touchdown, but in this game, you have to think, you know, where is Sean McDermott and that Bills team mentally? Are they going to think about the fact that the Pats continue to run it down their throat over and over and over? Are they going to continue? Are they going to lean more on the pass defense because they only saw it three times in that game in Buffalo? I don't think that's going to be the case. I don't think they're going to overthink thing. I think a key loss is going to be Cole Beasley. He did get he did test positive. He's on the COVID yeah. list. He's definitely going to be out for this game. I think that's huge for Buffalo. That's a big weapon you got right there, but you're probably going to get Jackson on digs. You got Emmanuel Sanders, Gabe Davis, Dawson Knox. They've got a lot of weapons and I agree it's going to be close, but again, hard overhead. I'm going with the Patriots just like you, but it should be a fun, entertaining game to watch between these two. You don't get those that often. No. As then we not go this to, deep in the season. Yeah. Not this deep between those two. As then we go to maybe a battle for the first pick in the NFL draft between the Jags and the Jets. Jags at 2-12. and 12, Looks like they finally got the cancer of Urban Meyer out, and they're kind of back to their old ways. They did drop the game last week, but they get the Jets, 3-11. and 11. We know Robert Sala, head coach, tested positive for COVID. He might not be there on the sidelines for the Jets, but regardless, this could be whoever gets the number one pick loses. So it's almost like, who are you picking to have the number one pick in the draft? Um, I mean, if we're kind of going based off of uh, track record for the first round picks, I mean, the Jacks, the Jaguars got Trevor Lawrence in the first round. So um, they're probably looking pretty similar to going that same way again. Um, I would like to see Jacksonville win just to kind of save face and say like, Hey, we won without urban Meyer. Um <laughs> But at the same time, the Jets are, I mean, there's really no scouting report that you can do to kind of put a positive light on either of these teams, (laughs) Um, unless it's a preseason. But um, I I, I can't say I like either of these teams, but (laughs) the, the Jaguars... They got cool uniforms. Yeah, why not? <laughs> I, 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 would, I would say the Jaguars, um, if that's any redeeming quality. I would yeah, go. sure. Sure, why not? When you got a battle of 10-plus lost teams, might as well just go to, to that aspect. I do, that's I, usually but, what I do. Yeah, I do agree with you that, you know, Jacksonville is someone I'd root for. But I think in this game, on a very young team, young teams normally perform well at home. I think Zach Wilson at home helps out. Wilson has been getting better. And plus this Jets team, remember they beat the Bengals, they beat the Titans. So it's kind of hard to read this team. So I think they get their fourth win of the year. I think at home, the Jets will take this one, you know, as much as I want to root for Jacksonville. And by the way, the Jets old uniforms, not these ones way better, you know, the the white sleeves. I agree. I agree. Yeah. So I think, I think the Jets will win this one, but speaking of New York, we got the giants up next. They hold, they travel, I should say to Philly. Take on the Eagles at seven and seven again. Another one of those teams at 500, still with playoff chances. Eagles got to win this game. Looked like after a few mistakes last night against Washington, they righted the ship. Jalen Hurts looks great. 
Meanwhile, the Giants, they're shutting down Daniel Jones. So it's looked like Mike Glennon the rest of the way. Is Mike Glennon enough to pull off the upset against the Eagles? Uh, I would say the, the Giants are one and six on the road. So it's going to be tough to really turn that around. But because Philadelphia, like in December, much like the Jets playing in uh, the Meadowlands, it's, it's going to be a tough environment because you don't know what it's, whether it's going to be sunny, whether it's going to rain, whether it's going to snow or what have you. So it, it's going to be a toss up in the weather aspect. But like you said, Jalen Hurts has been looking pretty damn good. So I want to say Philadelphia is going to take it, even though a lot of my friends are Eagles fans and I'm not. Um, <laughs> I, they're probably going to love me for saying that. But I'm probably going to have to say the Eagles because they're, they're knocking on the door of an over 500 record and possibly a wild card spot. And they know from past experience in the past couple of years what it takes to be in the playoffs and win a Super Bowl, even at the Patriots' expense. But um, it's I think they'll they'll find a way to win. I think Eagles, yeah, I I think especially next year, this is gonna be a team to reckon for. I think Jalen Hurts is the future. They get a few more weapons. This Eagles team is gonna be dangerous, but for this year, it, it's hard to say because you never know what you're going to get with the Giants. Obviously, Mike Glennon hasn't been the answer. And I think offensively, this Eagles team looks great. If uh, if the Giants can make it low scoring, then they can pull out the win. If they can make it low scoring, I don't think they can do that. I think the Eagles do keep their playoff hopes alive. I do think they win this game in a battle of the NFC East between those two. As then we transition to the NFC South, Go with Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Bucks at 10 and four, Carolina five and nine. This is going to be a big test for Tampa. And this week, Jake, because Tom Brady, no Chris Godwin, uh, done for the year. Leonard Fournette yep. out for the regular season on IR. Mike Evans is considered week to week. So a lot of the big weapons that he has might not be playing in this game. And meanwhile, Carolina has their quarterback questions. We don't know if it's going to be Cam Newton or PJ Walker, but this is going to be a test for Brady and the Bucks. Can they? overcome all these injuries and pull out a victory after getting shut out on Sunday night against New Orleans. I, I think it's, it's going to be that, that nine, nothing game was a shocker, not only because it was low scoring, just the, the low level of the performance that Brady put on is, wasn't something that we're obviously used to seeing as New England fans and just football fans in general. So I think it's kind of, it, Tom Brady is going to do Tom Brady things and he's going to turn that around. Uh, probably. Uh, well, they just, the, the Buccaneers just signed uh, Le'Veon Bell. So they have an extra run running route there. Um, if he's eligible for Sunday's game, I think he is. Um, I'll have to double check that, but that's definitely an asset that they have if he's healthy, but Carolina, the quarterback question for sure, whether it's going to be Cam Newton or P.J. Walker, it's going to be a tough, probably game time decision. I would say Cam Newton has much more second half experience with the Panthers more so than um, just like as a regular quarterback. I would say he's been on Panthers for most of his career. So he's definitely got that mentality in place. But I, I want to see – I'm a Tom Brady fan, so I want to see him turn that around and kind of show what he's capable of at 43 years old. And it, 
I mean, it always goes back to the age question. Like once he has a bad game, oh, he's done. He's past it. <laughs> but he, he, he lives more so to prove people wrong than to throw a football. <laughs> <laughs> and I think he's going to do just that on the road. They're four and three on the road. So they're just going to probably take that and go 11 and four into week 17. I think. I think, yeah, I think that's the key is that Tom Brady looks at this loss and he's saying that was embarrassing. We're going to probably put up monster numbers against this team. And, you know, as you said, with all these guys out, they still have depth. Ronald Jones is still a great running back to have as your RB one. On top of that, as you uh, said, they signed Le'Veon Bell. They've got depth at the tight end position. We've seen Brashad Perriman. We've seen Scotty Miller. Uh, Tyler Johnson. We've seen all these guys step up. And how many no-name guys have you seen make a name for themselves because Tom Brady's getting them involved? We've seen it for years and years and years. And Tom Brady knows how to get these guys involved. And I think what helps defensively, because this is the only weakness of the Bucs, is their secondary and defense overall. Mm -hmm. I think when you have sort of an offense that's all over the place like Carolina, that helps them out so much and kind of gives them some confidence. So that's why I think Tampa Bay should win this game. They should win it by a lot because Tom Brady looks at last week and says, that was embarrassing. Let's not do it again. And you saw it on the field, you know, yelling at the Saints, getting angry at his teammates. You know, this is a hungry guy who wants another Super Bowl. He wants to get number eight. So who knows if that's the case? I mean, I think Tampa should win this one by a lot. I think it's going to be a blow up between these two. No questions asked. As then you go to LA and Houston, the chargers at eight and six. Again, another one of those teams fighting for wild card spot. They're still technically only a few games behind the chiefs. Although that loss kind of hurt their division chances last Thursday night, but they do get a three and 11 Houston team that is trying out Davis mills, trying a bunch of guys on their team to see how are they for next year since the Texans are already eliminated. But this almost feels like a no-brainer for the Chargers. Are they going to pull off the victory over the Texans? Uh, I think they will. I think, well, with teams like this, with matchups like this, you got the Texans at 3-11, and 11, and then you got the Chargers 8-6. and six. Games like this, they could either be a blowout one-sided with the uh, favorite team, but it could also be like a, within like a field goal final score. Um, I like those games just because they're more like high anxiety, like high octane like that. But I think it's this isn't going to be one of those games. I think it's going to be the Chargers take it all four quarters. You got Keenan Allen, Austin Eckler, like they're just the Houston defense isn't going to do too much to stop them. Yeah, not, for, to, not out of their power. They just probably won't be able to. Yeah, just don't don't match up the personnel does Houston with L.A. I think regardless of even if Eckler is still on the COVID list or not, this Chargers team should run away with this game. I mean, I think the Chargers, to me, in that wild card spot with the AFC, I think the Chargers are at least a lock for uh, that spot, considering where their schedule is. You know, they're playing teams like the Texans. Mm -hmm. uh, their schedule is very easy. So I can I can sort of pencil them in, I think, confidently to get in that wild card spot. And I think for this game, no brainer, similar to last, uh, the last game we just picked between Tampa Bay and Carolina should be a blowout through all four quarters. LA should take this one. As then we go, we go to the four o'clock slated game, Chicago and Seattle, Chicago, a lot of questions, you know, some are calling for Matt Nagy's firing. Now they don't want to wait till the end of the regular season. Meanwhile, you got Seattle who after last night, 
is going to be under 500 for the first time in the Russell Wilson era. So there's really nothing more, Jake, that Seattle has to do. I mean, they're five and nine. The season's basically over. Even if they win this game or not, they could be eliminated. But these two teams got to play. What do you think between Bears and Seahawks? Well, I think the the suggestion of firing Matt Nagy is a, definitely a um, a sign that the Bears fan base is much more dedicated than we give them credit for. Because you got teams like the Jets that are like three and eleven. You got the Jacksonville Jaguars that are two and twelve. The the Bears have two one more win than those teams. I mean, even though they're like a significantly losing record, they know that their team is better than this. They They made the playoffs last year at eight and eight with this guy. Exactly. So, I mean, they know what, like they have a standard for their team. It's almost like where the green Bay Packers ownership is the fans. So the bears are kind of reciprocating that. And I think they really put a lot of stock into their team and they know that, their team is better than this. They should be in the playoff contention and they're just, they're just simply not. So I think even though they don't have that chance of making the playoffs, they're certainly going to fight like hell to prove to the fans that they can do this for them and to like finish out this season strong. Like it's almost like a moral victory at this point, but like having going out on a few more wins for the rest of the season will definitely translate into next season to build off of in the off season. Yeah. I, I think, I think I agree that Justin Fields definitely looks like the guy for Chicago. And, you know, you Absolutely. can't take, you can't take this with a grain of salt because it's still only his rookie year. You're seeing rookie mistakes, which you'll normally see. You see from Lawrence Wilson, Jones, you see it from all these guys. So Justin Fields isn't out of that. You know, Chicago is one of those fan bases where it's like, we want success now. You know, they can't, Mm -hmm. they can't stand it when they, when they suck for so long and it feels like they've sucked for so long, but it looks like they have the guy. I do still think that, you know, Russell Wilson is still a great quarterback. I think that's what to me gives the advantage for Seattle. I mean, I know, I know you like Chicago and I feel like this could be a Chicago win, but I think at home, you know, regardless of how, the Seahawks are playing. Those fans are, you know, just as crazy as Chicago. I mean, you've been to the link or if you've seen the link, you've been to the link, you know how insane that place gets. So I think, I I think I'm going to pick Seattle for this one. I hate to disagree with you, but I think Seattle is going to take the victory on this one as then probably a more exciting game. We get to pick is up next Pittsburgh and Kansas city chiefs have won seven straight top team in the AFC looking like they can clinch that number one spot in the next week or two. They still don't have Travis Kelsey. We're waiting to see if Kelsey will be able to clear protocols in time. Meanwhile, I got the Steelers seven, six and one on the outside looking in currently ninth in the playoff spot, but a win would definitely help their chances. What do you think between Steelers and chiefs? Kansas city at home is a very tough battle to win. (laughs) Um, Playing against Kansas city at Arrowhead. That I think we've voted one of the most like uh, loud stadiums like in the NFL or in sports. So I think that's going to be a tough battle for the Steelers to face. But you have, I mean, Pat Mahomes, he's just, he is an enigma is what he is. He's, he adapts to any situation pretty much handily. Um, And then Clyde Edwards Alaire, he was last game he had I don't even know how many yards, too many. Um, yeah, too, too many to count. <laughs> and you get David Johnson for Pittsburgh, who 
he had a pretty good game last week, but I it's going to be tough for Pittsburgh to seal that uh, closure to get into the playoffs. But I, anything can happen. I think, like I said, it's either going to be a blowout or it's going to be a close six to three point game. But this is going to be one of those games where it's going to be so close. It's just anxiety written the whole time. But I think Kansas City is going to pull out some fourth quarter magic and just take it and seal that first place spot. Yeah, I, I, I agree that Kansas City should be favored. They should win this regardless of if Kelsey plays or not. I think what's going to be key for Kansas City, because we've seen throughout the seven-game winning streak, is defensively they're so much better than they were at the beginning of the year. And if they can stop Najee Harris and make Ben Roethlisberger throw the ball as much as he can, that's going to be the difference. That's what helps mm-hmm. Kansas City win this game either by a lot or just win it in general, is if they can stop the run and stop Najee Harris but as you said, Arrowhead, very tough place to play, especially in December in the playoffs. It's going to be really tough for Pittsburgh to overcome. And as you said, Deontay Johnson's a great wide receiver. I think he's going to be probably the number one receiver for that team for a very long time. Um, but it's just not going to be enough. Not enough against this Kansas City team. So I agree with you. I'll take the Chiefs. As then we go to a really fun battle I think is going to happen in the AFC West, Denver and Vegas. Raiders and the Broncos, both at seven and seven, both fighting for the playoff spot right now. As of right now, Denver is 13th. Vegas is 10th. That win last Monday against the Browns was huge for the Raiders. This essentially, Jake, is a game where whoever wins is alive. Whoever loses is probably going to be eliminated or their chances are going to be slim to none. So between Broncos and Raiders, who do you think comes out on top? Well, the Broncos just lost Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, so that is not ideal for them. Yeah, Drew Locke back in the saddle. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, he's not a terrible quarterback, but they they need their like mainstay guy, and going on the road to potentially be in the playoffs, it's it's not going to help them too much. But I mean, Derek Carr has been pretty pretty solid the past few weeks. Um, with Hunter Renfro by his side, basically. Um, it's they're playing at home, they're playing for a spot, they're both seven and seven. Uh, they're it's it's so evenly matched, it's really hard to pick who's gonna come out on top because, like you said, whoever wins this is alive, whoever doesn't is basically pack your bags, go home. Um I like to see the Raiders win just because they haven't had too much playoff experience deep into the playoffs, I would say more so than just like a divisional or like a wild card berth. But um, I would definitely like to see Vegas get that chance to try and make a run, even if they don't make it that far, just to give them a shot, see what they do with it. I think with what has gone on with Vegas, all the controversial stuff with the head coach and the players, Mm -hmm. this is the best Derek Carr has played in his entire career. I know they're seven and seven, but what he's done to carry this team with the minimal weapons they have, I know they've got great weapons, as you said, in Renfro Jacobs in the backfield, Darren Waller, even though he's out, I think this is the best Derek Carr has played in his entire career, or at least for a long time, at least for a long time. I do want to say that Vegas wins, but somehow Denver just continues to 
be alive no matter what. You know, they start 3-0, then they're losing a bunch of games. We all think they're done. Then they're coming out and winning some very important games. The quarterback switch is going to be huge, but I think Drew Locke is one of those guys where he's probably going to use probably the running game. I think the running game is going to be uh, emphasized for Denver. They've got Javante Williams. They got Melvin Gordon. I think he's going to use them as best they can. And I think Denver pulls the upset. I think they go on the road. I think they beat the Raiders. I I root for the Raiders just like you, Mm -hmm. but I think it's just not going to be enough for for Vegas to overcome, especially with this uh, Denver team. So I'm going to ride with the Broncos. I ultimately think both these teams aren't going to make the playoffs, you know, both sitting at seven and seven. So they'd Mm -hmm. they'd probably need a couple of magical stuff to, to happen. But again, it's so wide open. You never know. You never know with these these two teams. As then we cap off Sunday with the Sunday night game in the NFC East, Washington and Dallas, the football team dropping a crucial game last night to Philly. They're now six and eight. Currently in the standings, they are 10th right now. So they basically got to win out to keep their playoff chances alive. Meanwhile, Dallas, they're struggling, but they're still winning games. Dak Prescott isn't looking like themselves, but as of right now, the Cowboys are the second seed in the NFC. So this almost feels like a statement game for the Cowboys to make against the football team. What do you think between Washington and Dallas? I... I think it's going to be Dallas taking it, to be honest, because like you said, they've had kind of a rocky uh, start, like not a start, but like past couple of games, even though they've won the past three out of their five, which they were all the past three wins have gone on the road. So on coming back home, carrying that momentum into AT&T Stadium, it's going to be it's going to be a lively event. I'll tell you that. But I mean, you get the Washington football team who just lost last night, you said, and it was, it was a kind of a tough game to watch, even though they had a lot of uh, back and forth action. It, it kind of, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of tough to say. Like I, I like to see the Cowboys just because they haven't had much luck in recent years with Prescott's injury, him coming back. So it's almost like a, like a comeback story in a way, but I mean, the Washington football team, you really don't know what to expect from them against good teams like Dallas. So it's gonna be it's gonna be hard fought on Washington side. But I think it's their their offense. I mean, you got um, Antonio Gibson who's doing as much as he can to help the offense with Taylor Henneke. And and it's just I don't think going on the road into Dallas is the most ideal situation for them to kind of try and reach that 500 record. But it's, it's going to be Dallas. I think. I I think this is going to be a runaway, but let me remind you that two weeks ago, these teams played Dallas was up. I think it was like 24, nothing at one point and Washington Mm -hmm. comes back, makes it a seven point game in the end. I think this comes down defensively to how much of a factor is Mike Parsons going to be. Is he going to be that big impact like we saw two weeks ago? And is the offense going to be the offense that we know they can beat? As I said over and over, with all the weapons that Dallas has, Prescott, you got two great running backs in Elliott and Pollard, Cooper, Gallup, Lamb, Schultz, all these weapons, and yet they continue to struggle, turn over the ball, Prescott can't throw the touchdowns. This is something where Dallas has to make a statement. And I think they do make a statement, probably a two-score game between these two. I like the Cowboys just as much as you, but I wouldn't be surprised 
if Washington, because remember, they kept it competitive with Garrett Gilbert as their quarterback. They didn't have their yeah, top two quarterbacks, and Washington kept it close with uh, Philly last night. I think depending on what kind of talent they have, I just don't think it's going to be enough, though. I think Cowboys win this game. I think they continue their surge. And if they do win, they do clinch that division. So that would be huge for the Cowboys to get that going. As then we wrap up week 16 with the Monday night game, another seven and seven battle between the Dolphins and the Saints. Saints keeping their season alive with the Sunday night win against Tampa. Meanwhile, the Dolphins started one and oh, winning against the Patriots. They lost seven straight. Now they've won six straight. Looks like that offense and Tua is back to the way they were. They're going to get Jalen Waddle off the COVID list. This is a huge game. Again, similar to the Denver Vegas, it's winner is alive, losers probably eliminated. So what do you think in the Monday night matchup between Dolphins and Saints? I think, well, with the Saints particularly, they just came off a win against Tampa Bay, nine to nothing. And regardless of the score, a win against Tampa Bay is a win against Tampa Bay. They're the recently won Super Bowl champion. So anything that the Saints can use in that to gain momentum and to get against this Miami team who has won the past few games, the past five, seven, let me see. Six in a row. Six in a row, yeah. So they're, uh, New Orleans needs pretty much anything to kind of keep their ball rolling and to kind of stop Miami's momentum. So it's going to be, it's going to be tough for New Orleans to kind of defend home field against Miami, who's got the past six wins in a row. But the going to, I, hmm. it's tough for me to say, because like Miami, AFC East. So they're sort of like, they're on the doorstep, but they're not knocking on the door. They're kind of nervous too. Um, so I would say New Orleans wins just based off of their pretty much monumental win, not monumental, but significant win against Tampa Bay. But it could not, it might not be enough for Miami's win streak on the road. But the past three games have been at home, not on the road. So it, it, it's really a toss up. I think you got Camara, you got, um, what is it, Marquez Gallo, Calloway. They're probably going to run all over Miami. Their defense, though, is, I don't know, it's kind of tough. It's, it's very, it's like a day-to-day thing. You got to really, like, keep up on, like, the injury reports and things like that because any, like, with, especially with COVID and the new variant, it's, it's kind of hard to gauge who's going to play, who's going to be ineligible. So for the time being right now, I want to say New Orleans takes Miami. But that could honestly change in the next few days. I, I honestly think that if this Miami team was consistent through the whole season, this could be an AFC East leading team with how wide open it's been in the AFC, but they've been inconsistent offensively. They look great. I think they look great in the running game in the passing game. Tug of Iloa looks great defensively. They're getting better and better. Obviously that's Brian Flores and his defensive mind. I think that's why, you know, I, I love Taysom Hill. I think he's a great quarterback. He should have been starting in place of Winston when he got hurt anyway, instead of Trevor Simeon. But I, I don't think it's enough. I don't think it's enough. Miami wins this game on the road in a very tough Superdome. Very tough su- Superdome. As you said, we've talked about all these stadiums that's tough to play. Superdome is just as hard, but we've seen teams this season come in there before and win. So 
I think Miami is, again, one of those teams, they make it seven in a row and they get themselves in the playoff hunt and they could be a dangerous team if they get in that wild card. So watch out for the Dolphins if they get into the playoff spot. As that wraps up our week 16 slate of NFL games, Jake, uh, thanks for taking the time. Uh, For those that want to check out your work, where can they find uh, your work with the Boston Pride and the NWHL? So there's actually two sites. One is um, the Boston Pride hockey website, just any of the newsletters, any of the articles written on there. Most of them are in part written by me in like a collaborative work with other colleagues. And then also my probably highest volume of work is on black and gold hockey productions. And so that's, I can send you a link to post that if you wish to kind of send people to that link. Um, but that's pro- predominantly where my work is located. All right. Well, it's definitely a lot of great work. Jake Salmons, thanks for taking the time. Hope you and your family have a very Merry Christmas and a happy holidays. Good luck as well with your picks for NFL Week 16. Thanks, Joe. Good to see you. Special thanks again to Jake Solomon's organization with the Boston Pride. Definitely does some great work there. We shift now to the ice and go to the NHL. And it's been chaos right now in the, in the National Hockey League. Absolute chaos. The NHL is on a break right now. They're going to take a break and hopefully resume games on December 27th, which is the estimated timeline. They, I believe it was this past weekend where they said, you know what, let's just take a break. Let's let all the protocols clear out, et cetera, et cetera. And they're basically shutting down the season. Now, do I think it's smart for the NHL to do that? Yes, I do. Because obviously you're concerned about the health and the safety of the players, the fans, the coaches, everybody throughout the NHL. But what's also smart is that, you know, it's not, it's not the NFL where you have to postpone games, but they, have, they can only be for a couple of days. The NHL has room to work with in the fact that they they're only two months, two and a half months into their season. So it's not totally urgent that the NHL has to resume these kinds of games because they can make it up later on in the year. Now, does that mean it's going to be more tight scheduling? Sure. More back to backs? Probably. But With the way things are going, you want to have that full season and you don't want to have to go back to the bubble or anything like that. I understand, you know, this Omicron virus, you know, changes everything. But I think it was a smart move for the NHL to not only go on holiday break, but to pull out of the Olympics. We found out a few days ago that the NHL, the NHL Players Organization have decided that they're not going to go to Beijing, go to the Olympics, and they're citing that it's the COVID surge. And again, another smart move by the NHL, because not only do you allow that, you know, we've seen in the past when NHL players get to go to the Olympics, the NHL goes on a two week break. Well, now you've got that two week break where all these postponements that you see, you can make it up right then and there in that holiday break. Now, 
are most NHL players going to be upset about going to the Olympics? Of course, it's a it's a once in a lifetime thing to get to play in the Olympics. But you got to understand a COVID surge traveling internationally is probably not the best thing to do. And not only that, but there's just so much political drama, which we don't have to get into going on in Beijing with the female tennis player. We don't have to get into that at all. But that's another you know reason, you know, you see U.S. diplomats pulling out of the Olympics, got the NHL pulling out. So this is I think the NHL is probably the smartest organization when it comes to dealing with this kind of outbreak. I mean, obviously, they're not having to deal with, you know, stuff like the the uh, the NBA where they don't have to go to the Olympics or the NFL where they are at the end of their season, they got to get it done or the MLB who not only is in a lockout, but uh, don't start their season scheduled until, you know, February or whatever. I think the NHL has been very, very smart. And I know I criticize Gary Bettman a lot. Every time we talk about the NHL, you know, all the handling of uh, the Blackhawks organization, you know, everything like that. Um, you know, I give him, pro- I don't know if it's him solely or if it's the entire NHL and the players organization, you know, coming together on this, but I think it's a very smart decision for the NHL to uh, just not only just go on a holiday break and sort of shut things down, but to uh, pull out of the Olympics. I think it's very, very smart to try and prolong the season because this, the playoffs essentially get started at the beginning of April, there's still plenty of time to make up the, all these games. I understand there's been 50 postponements and I know scheduling is going to be a lot tighter and tighter, but you've seen tighter schedules, you know, last year, you know, the NHL started in January in late January and they got their playoffs all the way into May. Now they're trying to, you know, get back on track and get a somewhat normal off season. Cause like I had mentioned months ago, a normal off season, you know, you get the Stanley cup ending in maybe early June or late May. And then you get like training camp starting in September. That's a good four months, you know, at the, at the minimum you get off, you know, since this pandemic started, you know, it's only been a three month break or a two month break. And I think that's, what's crucial here for uh, not only the NHL, but all these sports is to sort of get back to that normal off season program and, try and uh, limit the kind of injuries that possibly might happen uh, in these sports. So the NHL is being very smart about this COVID surge and hopefully this thing passes, it goes away. The outbreak in the NHL is contained and we can once again, witness some great action on the ice in the national hockey league. So as I said, this is the last episode before Christmas and obviously the big tradition on Christmas Day, not only getting together with family, is watching some NBA games. Obviously, there's a five game slate every year, all day in the NBA. And this one's kind of special because not only get the NBA, you get a couple of NFL games, you get some great action on Christmas Day. But let's get to the NBA and preview some of those Christmas Day games. Obviously, the big one to kick it off at noon is Hawks-Knicks. I mean, let's start with the Knicks because I think they're making the most headlines. Atlanta, we know, 
they got a bunch of people in COVID protocols. But let's talk about how crazy this Knicks season has been. You know, this was a team that I thought could be so much better than the number four seed that they did last season because they added Kemba Walker, they added Evan Fournier, but now look what's going on. Walker was out of the rotation at one point. Derek Rose is now out eight weeks because of ankle surgery, that the dude with basically glass legs. And Julius Randle just isn't performing the way that we saw in the past for most improved player. And what's, what's funny is that, you know, with all the rotation questions going on, I mean, Tom Thibodeau is a defensive-minded guy. He's a defensive-minded guy. And you're putting a guy like Kemba Walker, who probably, you know, talent-wise, is within the top 50 still of great, of great players right now. Definitely in the top 50. I couldn't give you an exact ranking, you know, maybe lower than that. But this is a guy, even last year for a struggling Celtics team, put up 20 points a game, and you're asking him to sit on the bench. I mean, that was the problem with the Knicks last year was that they didn't have any offense. I mean, Julius Randle was averaging a double-double, but there wasn't anything other than that. I mean, R.J. Barrett couldn't do it. Reggie Bullock couldn't do it. Alec Burks, all these guys weren't able to do that. And Walker and Fournier, all of that, just you'd think they'd be better. You'd think they would be better, but they're clearly not. They're 14 and 17 They're on the outside looking in in terms of the playoffs. And honestly, I don't know what to make of this Knicks team. I don't know. You know, this might be the team that's on, you know, the outside looking in. I don't know if they're going to be the the playoff team that we remember from last year. Because, I mean, look at the numbers where they are defensively. Were Were they not the best offense? No. But defensively, they're 13th. Last year, they were in the top five. Okay. So I don't know whatever kind of addition it is or if they're dealing with any kind of injuries. And this is not the same Knicks team. And unless they have some big kind of swing in 2022, I don't know if this is a team that can get themselves into the playoffs, especially with the standings being so tight with Cleveland being a better team, the Wizards being a better team, the Hornets and the aforementioned team they're playing on Christmas, the Hawks. Now the Hawks are a team you really can't judge because they've got so many guys in protocols right now, including Trey young, including Kevin Herter, uh, Gallinari, all those guys. I'm actually getting a a list of it right now. Uh, um, Lou Williams was added. Lua Lou Cabarro was added. I mean, they had to sign Lance Stevenson to a 10 day to a 10 day. I mean, that, that tells you all it is. Right, that in there. But, I mean, is it going to have the star power that we thought it could be? No. But, I mean, the intriguing factor is this was last year's playoff matchup. And we know what Trey Young did in Madison Square Garden. Now, we're not going to be able to get to see that on Christmas. But it's definitely something to watch out for. I still think it's going to be a good game. I think just because they are shorthanded, I like the, the Knicks in this game. Hopefully, they do bounce back. But, hey, they did lose to the magic, but it was only by seven games, uh, eight point six points, excuse me, got to get that number. Right. Um, but I think it's still going to be a great game. I know, you know, not many players are going to be playing, but 
it's going to be a great game, I think. I think it's going to be a great game. As then we go to Celtics and Bucks. And what's funny about this is you think far and away, Milwaukee's the better team than the Celtics. But so far this year, the Celtics have beat the Bucks, I think, three times, maybe two or three times. I don't have the exact number in front of me. And <clears throat> I know the Celtics have all their protocol questions, too. I mean, they just added uh, Ennis Freedom into a list that includes Horford, Grant Williams, uh, Hauser, Hernan Gomez. So many guys, but they did ink Joe Johnson and ISO Joe was back just for one shot, (laughs) just for one shot last night against Cleveland in the garden. So that's kind of a nostalgic moment. You know, Johnson basically made his name in Boston, but to see him back is super cool. We'll talk about that and let's get local. But for Milwaukee, again, Giannis in protocol. So we probably are not going to see him, but this is still a team talent wise. I think, you know, I think talent-wise, think talent they're still a good team. I mean, you've got, uh, even though they don't have Chris Middleton, even though they don't have uh, Giannis right now, they're still winning these games, okay? They're beating the Rockets. They're beating the Pacers, okay? They did get Wesley Matthews back, which is good. But I think, you know, Milwaukee, have they struggled early on? Yes. But the fact is that, you know, have they lost to Cleveland. They lost to New Orleans. but. I think Milwaukee is still a great team. I think being at home definitely helps them out. And I know the Celtics have all this talent. I think it's going to be really, really close. It just seems, you know, from a health standpoint, I still like Milwaukee in the long term, but in the short term, the Celtics, you know, they still have their two stars still playing in Tatum and Brown. They still got Marcus Smart. I mean, that's different from Milwaukee, who have their top two players out in Giannis and Middleton. So that's why I think for this game, I like the Celtics in this one. I understand the fan base in Milwaukee is great, but I just think in this one, you know, maybe it's a hard overhead kind of thing, but I like the Celtics in this game to win this one. As then we go to Warriors Suns, the primetime matchup. I say primetime in being that it's going to be a tremendous game. You have the top two teams in the NBA. You got Phoenix, a half game up on Golden State. And let me tell you, I went to the Celtics Warriors game on Friday night. Watching Steph Curry in person is unbelievable. If you get the chance to do it, get yourself a ticket whenever the Warriors come to town, whenever Stephen Curry is playing, because that dude is unreal. It's unreal the way that guy shoots. The way he shoots the ball is unreal. But Phoenix is on fire. Not just, you know, literally because they're the the Phoenix Suns. But, I mean, they have won four straight. But from top to bottom, this is a tremendous team. I am a big fan of Phoenix. I thought they were going to do some great things. I didn't think they'd continue their success from last year. I thought they'd still be maybe a top five team, but not necessarily back at the number one spot at 25 and five. And that just does, they found their formula. They, Devin Booker, is maybe the most unselfish superstar that we've seen in the NBA. This is a guy who might say, you know, I got to put up 30 shots a game, but instead he dishes it off to Mikhail Bridges, to Cameron Johnson, to Chris Paul, to Aiton, to McGee, to all these guys. So I think for for this game, defensively, they're a great team as well. I understand the Warriors give out uh, less points than Phoenix, I do like Phoenix, though, at home. I think at home is the big difference. We've seen how loud the toaster gets, but I think this is going to be an exciting game. It's going to be the game of the week. 
I understand that Jordan Poole's in protocols and uh, Damon Lee just entered and Andre Iguodala is out with a knee. And that's what kind of hurts him. I think Phoenix in this game is going to be the big winner in that one, in uh, this one. As then we go to Nets Lakers. And obviously the story is about how, why hasn't LeBron James and this team gelled the way we all thought they could. I mean, they've lost three straight, but defensively has been a real issue. And it's not just because you lost Anthony Davis. Now he's out a couple of weeks due to his knee problems. You got a really old team, some teams in protocols. I said, you know, when you get to February or March, this is where you're going to decide what this team is. So I still think it's early. You know, they're not fully healthy. We haven't seen this team at full strength just yet. But they've got to turn it around. I'm not, I'm not saying they're going to lose their season or they've lost their season yet because there's still plenty of time for that. But February and March, you know, after the all-star break is the difference maker is the turning point where you can come up with a conclusion, at least in my eyes, because there's still plenty of season left to play. And you don't doubt LeBron James until you see physically that he can't do it. And I have not seen that yet from LeBron James. So I'm not doubting this team just yet. I still think they're a playoff team. As of right now, they're not a title contender because you've got obviously better players than or better teams than them at this moment. But I'm not I'm not selling out the Lakers just yet. I do think they struggle in this game against Brooklyn. I mean, we're learning today. Harden will be back. Millsap will be back. Javon Carter will be back. And I think that's the difference is that Brooklyn, I know they've got a huge outbreak right now. Kevin Durant's in protocols. Uh, Aldridge, I think, is in there. They've got a bunch of guys in there, which, by the way, I should also uh, add before I get into the game. Brooklyn is very hypocritical for allowing Kyrie Irving. I understand. But it's just this is the, the prototype of all sports franchises is saying something and then going back on another thing, but they're, I don't know why they need to bring him back. Cause they are 21 and nine. They're the top team in the conference. And if they wanted to stick to their word, you know, they could probably still be the best team in the East, you know, regardless of, of who plays, you know, cause they've got much more depth than they had last year. You know, they've got veteran presence like Blake Griffin and Patty Mills added with uh, Millsap and Aldridge. And you got Joe Harris, you know, all these guys. But at this moment, Kyrie Irving is not needed, at least in my eyes. He's not needed, not just in the locker room. How are you even going to integrate him in as a part-time player is my question. But that's beside the point. Brooklyn is the better team. I think they're going to blow out the Lakers. That's what I think. That's how, you know, all over the place LA is right now. The fact that now Brooklyn has Harden back. Harden's probably going to be that number one on offense, like we saw in his Houston days. And I think he takes over that game against the Lakers and the Nets pull out a win. And then finally you get the nightcap between the Mavericks and the Jazz. Obviously the, the star power kind of taken back with Luca entering the protocols uh, just yesterday. But this Jazz team at 21 and nine, another team I thought would probably take a step back. This is probably a reasonable, you know, third place was like reasonable for me. Did I think they'd be 21 and nine? No, I thought they'd be a little bit worse than that. But this is just, again, another team that found their formula with Gobert in the center, with Mitchell being that prime option. You know, I like this Utah team. I think they pull out the win against Dallas just because, you know, 
what is this Dallas team outside of Luka Doncic? Is Kristaps Porzingis going to be the number one guy? I, I really don't think so. So that's how I see the slate for the NBA on Christmas Day. But regardless, not only do you get to enjoy some NBA action and get to be with your family on Christmas Day, but it's going to be some exciting action taking place during the holiday for the NBA. Next, as usual, it's our Let's Get Local segment of the week. And let's start in New England talking about the Patriots. Their seven-game winning streak coming to an end. They drop the game Saturday night against the Colts 27-17. to And I just want to look at some numbers and kind of break it down from there because, you know, as I said, this was going to be the hardest matchup for New England during their seven-game winning streak because you've got perfect conditions. you got a great team you're facing against. There's no, you know, Indianapolis was pretty healthy at the time. But the problem that I saw was the run defense. Run, run, run defense. They allowed 226 yards. They allowed a 68-yard touchdown to Taylor at the end of the game. And what was the key for this team was to shut down the run, and they didn't do that, okay? You know how many passing yards there were for the Colts? 49. You know how many Carson Wentz had? 57. You know how many times he attempted it? 12. He was 5 of 12, 57 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. Now, was the defense the sole reason? No, because offensively, Mac Jones made rookie mistakes, which is which is expected. You know, it's it's not anything bad. You know, Mac Jones is still a rookie, but He threw it more times than he has since he's been a member of the Patriots, 26 of 45, 299, two touchdowns, but the two picks were crucial, 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 crucial. And they just couldn't, you know, this was, this is a Patriots team that sort of likes to establish the run, which opens up the pass game. And they obviously couldn't get a run game going. I mean, Ramondre Stevenson only had 36 yards. And the team only had 81 yards total rushing. So that was the problem that this this Pats team had is they tried to establish the run early. They tried to do it early. And I think that that was the the problem for, for Belichick and McDaniels was trying to go back to the well. I mean, this is a team that's that's well balanced to me. They're not the most talented team, but they are balanced in terms of Mac Jones can throw the ball. They can run the ball. I know Damian Harris didn't play, but even so, you got Stevenson and even Brandon Bolden in the backfield. You got to keep your eyes on him. But they try to go to the backbone, which they think is establish the run and then open up the pass game. That becomes a problem when you see it in the first couple of drives. You see Stevenson getting, you know, stood up at the line of scrimmage where now you have to play from behind. I mean, you saw it being down. Was it 14 nothing? I think, at one point? Yeah, 14-0 at the end of the first quarter, being down 17 nothing at halftime, and really it took that fourth quarter for you to really make it even a competitive game, you know, to be down 20 to nothing. So you got to understand, for this Patriots side of thing, is not to continue, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same things over and over and, and getting the same result. That's what's going on 
with this Patriots team. And I kind of just see it from a coaching standpoint that, you know, you should recognize early on that the run game just isn't working. Get to the pass game, do the pass game. And, you know, we saw two turnovers. The Pats did get an interception, but again, run defense and um, play calling were to me the two biggest things that this Patriots team sort of failed on. But who knows? This could be, as I said in the end of our first segment, that this loss to Indianapolis might be good for a team that's maybe young. They started really uh, getting ahead of themselves. I mean, this was their first loss on the road. They're, they were 6-0 and up until this game. And maybe this loss sort of resets them a little bit and gets them into a good mindset heading into uh, Sunday afternoon against the Bills because that game is going to be even more important. Because as I said, the with the rest of the schedule after this game on Sunday you get the Jaguars where you should win and you get the Dolphins the team that beat you in week one and you're already better than you were in week one so this is a game that is a must win to lock up that division you know that's that's ultimately what I see you win this game you win the division that's all it is but the good thing the good thing about this matchup is the last time these two teams play, Mac Jones only throw it at three times. So the Bills, um, you know, they're not expecting, you know, they didn't see any of the pass plays or, or much pass plays uh, from that previous matchup in Buffalo. So, you know, I, I assume, you know, the organization for Buffalo is, is smart. They know what pass plays are coming. They're not, you know, totally, totally out of the loop, out of the question. For, for pass game, they know they're going to see more than three pass attempts. That's for sure. That is for sure. But I think Gillette Stadium is the difference maker. I think this Patriots team does have a rebound. And obviously, you know, as I said in our pick'em segment, Bills don't have Cole Beasley. That's huge. But it comes down, you know, because we know the Bills don't have a run game. They don't have a run game at all. So it's all about shutting down these wide receivers. It's about Jalen Mills, Kyle Duggar, Adrian Phillips, uh, Devin McCourty. All these guys, they've got to shut down these wide receivers because the Bills have a ton of weapons out there. So this is going to be more about defensively, what can the Pats do to shut down Buffalo? That's sort of what I see for this Pats game. But all I know is I'm going to be tuning in with great intensity to see if the Patriots can win this game. Because I think if they do win this game, your my confidence meter is going to go through the roof in terms of a playoff team where I think you know, they can get at least one playoff win. I think the buy is out of the question. I think that first round buy is out of the question. Kansas City should win that one. But in terms of maybe going the distance or at least getting a playoff win, you know, whether that be in the wild card or whatever, I think that goes through the roof if they win this game against Buffalo. But like I said, I'll be very exciting to see this matchup. But then we go from the Patriots to the Celtics. And as I mentioned briefly, uh, in our NBA segment, seeing Joe Johnson back, surreal, absolutely surreal. I mean, this is a guy who's been out of the league for two years, not two weeks, two years. And he comes in, I know it was garbage time or whatever, but it just looks like he hadn't lost a step. And, you know, with all these guys in protocols, you know, Joe Johnson isn't the worst option to have out there. Okay. When you look at all the options you had out there, I mean, the Hawks signing Lance Stevenson and this team even signing CJ miles at one point, you know, the good thing about the Celtics team is that they haven't lost any of their 
top three or their top four players to uh, these protocols. I say top four, you know, very lightly because Al Horford's important. Grant Williams is important. You got a lot of guys that are important, but Tatum hasn't missed any time. Brown looking like his old self, which we'll get into really shortly. Marcus Smart, you haven't lost. Dennis Schroeder obviously has battled injuries along with uh, Robert Williams, but those are the five guys, you know, those might be, you know, arguably your top five most important players. And the fact that you haven't lost them and you've been continuing on this kind of road where you beat Cleveland last night. I know it was a struggle against the Warriors on Friday night, the game I went to, but the fact of the matter is Jalen Brown looks like his old self. He looks like his old self scoring 34 last night. I understand Cleveland was a little depleted and they did lose to Philadelphia a couple of nights before, but Jalen Brown looks like his old self. That's what I think, you know, there still might be questions about the hamstring. You want to be, you know, very cautious, very safe with that. But I, I think when you've got Jalen Brown going like this, you got Jason Tatum, you know, the way those two team, those guys, you know, do they find a way to finally play with each other? Maybe this could be the stretch where it actually happens. But, you know, the good thing about this team is where you have one superstar struggling, you get the other one to uh, fill it in right then and there. Because Tatum last night, 18 points, nine rebounds, five assists. And that's it. That's important for for Tatum and for Brown to realize when you just don't have it on that night. When you don't have it on that night, you just give it off to the other guy and your shots are just going to come to you right then and there. So do I still have faith in this Celtics team that they can turn things around? You know, yeah, I'll say yeah. But I'm not 100% confident yet because, again, they're still inconsistent. you got to play the full 48 minutes for this Celtics team. I mean, right now they're 16-16. and They're in eighth right now. And honestly, that might be the way it is. They just continue to be 500. You know, they go on a stretch of winning games. They go on a stretch of losing games. That might be just the way way it is. And honestly, like I said, fifth or sixth seed is probably, you know, a realistic expectation to have for this Celtics team. And obviously we would talk about the Bruins if they weren't, you know, on a break or in protocols, but they need their guys back just really quickly. But obviously Christmas time in Boston is very exciting. And as Matt Damon said, nothing beats Christmas in New York, except for Christmas time in Boston. Go Sox. Lastly, to end our show, it's our LOL moment of the week. And it's someone who's known to be a little bit comedic. Someone who is could be on LOL moment of the week every week for what he does on Inside the NBA. But this week was taken up a little bit uh, by this big man, former NBA big man Hall of Famer. So this week's LOL moment of the week goes to... Shaquille... O'Neal. Now, as I said, every single week, whatever he does, it could be, you know, an LOL moment of the week. This week, it could have been his argument with Candace Parker. It could have been the race to the border, whatever. But what qualifies him this week is the fact that he decided to reenact almost every 
Christmas movie that was ever made. And it was just pure comedy, pure comedy to see him recreate Home Alone, Elf, just <laughs> he just seems so out of place. And let, let's start like this. Shaq is not the greatest actor, okay? He's not a good actor at all. And maybe he's not even a good rapper, come to think of it. I say that very quietly because I know he could probably eat me if he heard something like that. But, um, you know, just to see Shaq be this kind of comedian, because, again, he he's a guy who loves the spotlight. He loves the attention. He goes after it and stuff like that. But to see him portray these, these Christmas movies is a... Uh, is pretty funny. I mean, what what's scarily funny is that they were kind of realistic. I mean, when you look at that scene in Elf, which is my favorite Christmas movie, where they're reciting the rules of the elves and you have Will Ferrell, who's too big for the desk. That's basically Shaq. That's basically a Shaq moment. And it's almost like you, you substitute one for the other and nothing really changes. But I mean, this was clearly something that Shaq wanted to do just to get the media attention. I don't think you know, he is a great guy. He's a charitable guy. But again, he loves the spotlight. He loves the attention. And, you know, I would have thought you would have done this with uh, Kenny and Charles and Ernie in the studio. But you did it in front of uh, Kenny Smith, Candace Parker. You know, I guess he just couldn't hold it in any longer. I'm kind of scared what he does for New Year's. Maybe he comes to the set in a diaper like that um, New Year's baby or whatever that sort of thing is. But I'm... You know, I'm just taking in what he did for the Christmas portrayal. So Shaquille O'Neal, for being that lovable big man that everyone knows you are, you have landed yourself into this week's LOL Moment of the Week. So that does it for this edition of Let Me Speak. Thank you, everyone, for watching on YouTube or listening to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Hope you all have a very Merry Christmas. We'll be back next week for the final show of 2021. And don't forget, as always, to follow our pages on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. All you got to do is search Let Me Speak Podcast. And remember, as always, if you've got a point you got to get across, just let the whole world know. Shut up and let me speak.